to think back to when you're upper elementary age and you had to watch that video. You remember? You remember watching that video that, that talked to you about your, your growth and your development and it was awkward and they put you in a room and they talked about things that you never talked about with anybody, hopefully maybe with your parents, but, but then you were hearing these things with, with, your, with your peers and it was extremely uncomfortable. Um, my daughter next week will be watching that video. And um, I'm not ready for her to be watching that, that video. I mean, we've talked to my daughter about all that stuff, and so she's not going to be learning anything new. But it just reiterates to me again that she's growing up. She's growing up, and, and it, it terrifies me. It's, I was a youth pastor for, for 10 years, uh, but as she enters her teen years, I'll be coming to many of you um, who have teenagers and asking for advice and help and, and lots and lots of, of prayer. Uh, but my wife and I previewed these videos because we thought, okay, what are they going to talk about? We'd like to know what they're going to be, be sharing. And one thing stood out to me more than anything else, and that was this idea that they kept reiterating to these little girls and these little boys who are going to watch this, is that everyone progresses differently. Everyone progresses differently. And so we can't, we can't compare ourselves. They're, they're talking to these kids. You can't compare yourself to your peers. Every, everyone's going to grow differently. It's going to look like something different for you than it may for your, your friend. And so I started thinking about this series we're going through, and I I started thinking, man, that, that is the truth for us spiritually as well. That oftentimes we'll look at our own spiritual life and we'll look at someone else and we begin to compare and say, all right, well, how, how does my life look like theirs? Right? And so I want you to understand today that you are going to progress differently than the people who are around you for lots of different reasons. You might just be on the journey. You may just be investigating what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe you haven't been in church for a long time. Maybe this is just another shot. You're like, all right, I'm going to try this one more time. My goal is every time you come to this place that we all take a step closer to Jesus. Every one of us, that we are continually growing. Because if not, that, that's when, and if we look at the physical realm, when, when things start to, to stop growing or stop progressing, usually there's problems. And so spiritually, it, it's the truth. It's the same. That if we stop growing spiritually, that we can have problems. And so a lot of times we do what we would call a topical sermon, and that's where we do a series, and maybe we talk about money, or we talk about relationships, and we, we kind of pick one thing, and we talk about it for several weeks. And then sometimes we take a book of the Bible, a letter written to someone, or the Gospels, the story of Jesus, and we'll literally just go through the whole thing. And one reason we do that is because when we do that, it forces us to talk about some difficult things. So it forces us to take some of those scriptures that I normally wouldn't go to, and it forces us to say, okay, we're going to stop, we're going to slow down, and we're going to talk about that. And I felt like this is one of those weeks. This is one of those weeks. This is one of those weeks where uh, what we're going to talk about is going to be somewhat difficult. Not because it's controversial, not because it's this deep teaching, uh, but more importantly, it's because mo many of us are going to struggle with what we talk about today. Many of us aren't going to like it. Uh, as I was preparing, I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like the, that God is even speaking to me in this because it's difficult. It's difficult. And so the things we're going to look at today, I think every one of us will, will understand. Every one of us will, will have to self-reflect on our life and say, all right, well, how does this apply um, to me? And so we're in the book of Philippians, in the book of Philippians. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a, a red Bible around you somewhere. Uh, you can take that Bible. That Bible is a gift to you. Uh, please take that. If you have a smartphone, a device, I'd encourage you to pull it up, or if you take notes, I think that's always helpful and important. We're going to look at Philippians 2, 12 through 18. Philippians 2, 12 through 18. I'm going to teach. Uh, we'll go slowly through this. I'll stop every once in a while and pull some things out. So we're going to look at 12 and 13 first. 
Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. All right, let's catch up just real quickly. Some of you, this is maybe your first week of this series. Uh, Maybe you don't really understand who the Philippians are. And so just really quickly, let's catch up. Uh, The guy who's writing this is a guy named Paul. Uh, Paul was not a follower of Jesus. He was a Jewish guy. He hated Christians. He persecuted Christians. And then all of a sudden, God gets a hold of his heart, and it changes everything. He then begins helping other people follow Jesus. He starts churches, and then he writes letters back to these churches. And so Paul is literally writing this letter from prison. From prison, he's writing this letter back to a church he had started about 10 years before. And he's trying to encourage them, and he's trying to help them as they continually live out community with one another. Because it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to live in community with people, especially when people are different and we're all different from one another. And so we talked about, well, who makes up this uh, community of people? So you had Lydia, who was this really wealthy woman who had everything she needed, everything she probably wanted. She was a religious woman, but she didn't really understand who Jesus was. And so he comes in contact with Lydia, and he shares the good news with Lydia about Jesus then he encounters a slave girl who, who is in bondage, she's demon-possessed, and he casts the demon out of her. So you have Lydia, who would have been a very controlled woman, she had everything together, and then you have this slave girl who had been completely out of control. Her, her life would have been hectic, and she is delivered from this evil spirit. And then you have a jailer. You have a jailer, this blue-collar guy who does his job. He goes home. He probably loves his family. He does everything that he's supposed to. He loves the Roman rule. That's his life. And while Paul is in prison, Paul is praising God in the midst of being in prison 10 years before he writes this letter. And in doing that, the jailer, in this miraculous way, he hears about the good news of the gospel, and he begins to follow. And so the early church is made up of those three people, and then it says their households households. And so anytime you have family involved, you have all kinds of conflict, and you have all kinds of things going on. And so this is the first early church. This is the community that Paul is writing back to. And they've all come to a point where they understand the good news, and they've responded to it. And I hope you never get tired of hearing this. I want to say this almost every week. This idea of the good news is that everyone is broken. Everyone is broken. If someone asks you, what what does the gospel mean? I hope you're able to begin to, to kind of flush it out. It's everyone's broken. Everyone's made mistakes. Everyone's rebelled against God. Even if you don't believe in God and you don't realize it, you just look at your shame and regret and all those emotions that come come with it. We've all rebelled. We're all broken. But the most important thing is that we're all dearly loved. So we're all broken and we're all loved. And we have to realize both of these to fully understand the gospel, that because of our brokenness, we need this God who loves us, who's able to rescue and save us. If you've never experienced that, maybe today is that day. Maybe today is the day where you realize you you are broken and that you need Jesus. Maybe that's today. But these are the people that Paul is writing back to, and they would have been difficult people. They would have been difficult people. We say this all the time. People are difficult. So anytime you're dealing with people, it's difficult. So he's writing back to them, and the first thing he says in this part of it is he calls them his dear friends. His dear friends. You can hear in Paul's voice that he deeply loves this group of people. He deeply loves them. The, The original language, he would have used the word beloved. Those of you that I deeply love, that's who he's writing back to. I'm so thankful to be a part of a community of people who support one another, who suffer with one another, who celebrate with one another. 
My hope is that we can continue to be that kind of people, who, who the people who are around us, that, that we consider them our dear friends, even if we aren't like them, we see things differently, but we see one another and we say, they're, they're, they're my dear friends because of the one thing that's brought us together because of Jesus. Uh, my in-laws have a little uh, foster son named Liam, and uh, they've had him for about two years, and I was thinking about it this week. We're, my in-laws are out of town, and so we're watching him for a week, and so we've went from two kids to three kids, and it's two days, and I'm, I'm tired um, already, and there's difficulties and, and different things, but it's funny as I watch Liam run around this place. I mean, Liam could have had, uh, he could have had a worse start to his life. He could not have had a worse beginning to, to his little life. But then there was this couple, my in-laws, who, who take him in. But then as Liam comes, there's so many people who love this little boy, who love this little boy. And it's really funny because um, he, he calls a lot of people daddy, right? He calls a lot of people daddy, and he loves grown men, and he's just loved by so many men at this place. And it, it just means so much as I see him, as I see him and so many people who support him. It's this beautiful picture of what the church looks like, that no matter how we started or how we've got ourselves here, that there's a group of people who will come to us and love us and accept us and welcome us into this place. That's what Paul is experiencing. And Paul is saying, man, I love those people who I started that church with. So even in the midst of our differences, we understand that this is a place where everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. Everyone belongs. Everyone is needed because you can think about the early church that starts in, in Philippi, everyone would have been needed to do those things. They, they didn't have people in position, so it took the whole community as they were going to have a different, make a difference in their community. It took all of them. So everyone is needed. So we're all needed to, uh, to do what God has called us to do here, and that everyone can be changed because of Jesus. Everyone can be changed because of Jesus. So now Paul, just last week as we looked at it, he, he started talking about that we should do nothing out of selfish ambition, that we should consider others better than ourselves, that we shouldn't look only to our own interests, but to the interests of, of other people. And in doing this, our attitude should be like Jesus. So he talks about Jesus, and he talks about Jesus being uh, the fully uh, God, the essence of God and equal to the Father, but he makes himself nothing. He becomes a servant. He becomes obedient even to death on the cross. And so we're supposed to take on that mindset of Jesus. And remember, remember that what we say we believe should have an impact on how we behave. Right? So whatever I say I believe, whatever I take from here and say, yeah, I believe that, then it should also come out in how we behave. So, so Paul is going to say, since you're going to do this, since you're going to take on the mindset of Jesus, then you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, this is one of those scriptures that can be extremely difficult to understand. It can be really hard to understand, so we're not going to spend a ton of time, but I, I want to talk just briefly about this. Paul's not saying that you need to work for your salvation. Right, so Paul's going to talk in other places that it's grace alone, that it's, that it's nothing you can earn, it's nothing you can work for, it's nothing you can be good enough. So if you have a job and you think, man, if I just do better, if I, if I sell more, then all of a sudden I'm going to be promoted. Then my boss is going to be pleased with me and I'll get that job that I've wanted. That's, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul's not saying that you're, you're doing really well and you're working for your salvation. But it's about working out our salvation to bring about or to carry out our salvation. So because we've been saved, if you're here, and I know not everyone would say that they are, but if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, then you're working out your salvation in the midst of community. So something has happened to you individually. 
individually, but we're working this out together. We're carrying it out with one another. And so we have to understand that it doesn't just impact us individually. It doesn't just impact us individually, but it impacts, or it should impact, everyone and everything around us. So as we work out our salvation, we're carrying out our mission, Trinity's mission, to love God, to love people, and to serve our community. And so my hope is wherever we go, wherever we go, uh, I, I talked to someone who was here last week and uh, just, just met this family and we're talking and she said, I came here because I heard of another group of people at Marshall's talking about your church. You never know. You never know who's listening. You never know who's watching. They never know who's observing. And so they, they just were talking about, about Trinity and our church and they, they came. And so there's this idea of everywhere we go, we carry this with us. And so if you're employed somewhere, if you're an employer or if you have employees underneath you, that they should benefit because you're a follower of Jesus. That in your neighborhood, your neighbor should be thankful that you're there as a follower of Jesus because your neighborhood is better because you're there. As students in your junior high, in your high schools, that, that your classes should be better. Your teachers should be thankful that you're in that class because of you being a follower of Jesus. So we're working this out. We're continually growing. We're continually learning. But, but then he says this, with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Now, this is not about dread. This is not about an anxious fear. Um, th- this is not about anxiety at all, like questioning what, what God is doing or what he's doing with me. I, I've been having a couple of, of tests, and as I've shared in the past, anxiety is something I've always kind of dealt with, and I have these irrational fears at times. And so as I have anything going on with me, I immediately go to the worst place that I could possibly go. In my mind, I'm thinking they haven't found something yet. It's got to be the worst thing possible. The tumor hidden deep in there, and they're going to find it. I know they are, and so I, I wrestle with those things really bad. That, that's not the kind of fear that God is wanting you to have as you work out your salvation. It's not even about an uncertainty concerning our salvation. So it's not that we take a step and we're afraid always of of what God's thinking about us or what he's going to do to us. It's not about questioning, am I really forgiven? Some of you who have grown up in church for a long time, you've probably prayed multiple times. I don't know if you heard it last time. I know I prayed for forgiveness before, and I don't know if you heard it. I don't know if I did it right. And so there can be this uncertainty. This is not what Paul is saying either. What Paul is saying is we should have this awe of who God is. We should have this awe of who God is. So this word fear should be tra- it can be translated into this word awe or reverence for who God is. Sometimes I think that we, we don't really elevate God to the position that he should be elevated to. Like to come into this place and to, to, to put our attention to that, it should do something to us. When we pray to understand that the God who's created the universe, who spoke things into existence, allows us to speak to him. And so we approach him with, with awe, and with reverence. Uh, the movie, uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I don't know if you've ever seen that, the Chronicles of, of Narnia. Uh, one of the characters, her name's Lucy, and they're in this beaver's den, and they're, they're just kind of at the beginning kind of finding out who, who, who King Aslan is and what's going on. And they, they find out that Aslan is a lion, and so her question to this, this talking beaver in this movie is, is Aslan safe? Is Aslan safe? And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Don't you hear what Miss Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. 
And so if we understand that he's safe, he's not safe, but he's good. But he's good to you and he's, he's good to me. And so we, we approach him with awe, with, with reverence. If you think back, as I talked about, this slave girl, don't you think after being delivered, she would have had this fear and trembling, but it would have been this awe and reverence for what just happened in her life. Lydia, who thought she had everything together, realizes that everything she ever wanted, everything she needed would never be enough. There's this awe and this reverence. That this, the jailer who experiences the doors fly open in the prison, there would be this awe and reverence for who God is. And so as you and I work out our salvation, if we think about what God has done, we should do that in a way we're in awe and reverence for who God is. For who God is. And then it says that God is the one who carries these things out. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. So the things that you feel God has called you to do, who he's called you to be, at times it feels overwhelming. It feels overwhelming. How in the world can I do that? But it is God who works these things out. It's God who gives you the ability and the, the opportunity to do these things. And so I, I've shared before just simply in my story of being a, a pastor. One, I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't even really know what a pastor was. So when I thought I'm supposed to be a pastor, I, I really rejected that idea. And then the other thing that I've often talked about is I couldn't speak in front of people. I couldn't speak in front of people at all. I was always in fear. I would feel nauseous and sick anytime I had to speak in front of a group of people. And so I had to get to the point where I said, all right, God, if you're going to do this, if you've called me to do this, you're the one that's going to have to make it happen. That it will not be me just getting better at what I do or learning how to speak. It is going to be you working it out in my life. And so as we talk about loving our enemies, that seems impossible. It seems impossible. So it's God who works those things out. Or I can't serve those people. You can there's no way you could foster or adopt. So I talked about fostering. Maybe God's put that on your heart and you think there's no way in this stage of life or where I'm at, there's no way I could foster or adopt. God can through you. Absolutely no way you could break the addictions or those behaviors. You can because of God working in and through you. So it's God who works those things out into your life. Now that's the easy part. It would have been great if Paul would have kind of stopped and then skipped this next section, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He goes on. Verse 14, he says, do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. And so I did some in-depth research of the word everything this week. Because my hope was maybe there's a loophole in there somewhere, like what the original language is. Maybe he meant something a little different, but it literally means everything. It didn't change somewhere in the translation. It literally means everything. It means all things. It means whatsoever. It means whosoever. It means everything. Paul says, do everything without complaining or arguing. This is hard. This is so hard. This is hard to do in my own life. It's hard to do in a world where it seems like everyone complains. Everyone complains about something. There's always something to complain about. Uh, we know those people that complain about everything, that nothing is ever good enough. Something is always wrong. They're always posting about what's not good enough. Uh, you've been to a restaurant with those people. It's always uncomfortable to go to restaurants with those people who are really big complainers and nothing's ever good enough. They complain to the server. The food's not right. They don't like where they're sitting. It's always uncomfortable. You know those people. Some of you might be those, <laughs> those people. 
But we often think, well, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Is it really hurting anyone when I complain? Is it really uh, hurting anyone when I argue about things that don't really matter? It matters. It matters. There's several groups of people in the, the scriptures who were known for complaining. And there were times they would complain back to God. And there's a group called the Israelites. And they're in bondage in Egypt uh, to Pharaoh. And they had one prayer. God, get us out. That's the only prayer. God, deliver us from here. Get us out. And so God raises up this leader in Moses. And uh, God does these ten plagues. And he changes the heart of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh lets uh, the people go. And so the Israelites walk out. They're in bondage, they're in slavery, life is difficult, they walk out, they're free. And Pharaoh changes his mind, changes his mind, he sends the army after them. And so Moses is leading the Israelites, and he gets to the Red Sea, nowhere else to go. Maybe you've seen the movie, The Ten Commandments, and you have Charlton Heston who who stands there. Uh, I'm not sure that's what Moses would have looked like, but Charlton Heston stands there, and, and God parts the Red Sea. Now, I have to admit, there's things in the Bible that just seem crazy. It seemed crazy. But God is the one who created all things, so God can do all things, right? And so, so he parts the Red Sea, and the people walk through it, and they get to the other side. And as the army follows, the waves come back in, the water fills in, and wipes out this army. And they've made it safely. They've been miraculously rescued. God feeds them miraculously. He turns bitter water into sweet water. Their clothes never wear out. And how do they respond? How do they respond? Now they grumble. Let's look at it. It's in Exodus uh, 16, 2 and 4. It says, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat. And ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Really? Have they already forgotten? Have they already forgotten what God has done for them and in their lives, how he's rescued them? And they're saying, I'd rather go back to bondage. I'd rather be a slave. And so they grumble. And if you know the whole story, they they never get to go and inherit the the promised land. Joshua and Caleb, only two get to, to do it, but... But they're grumbling, they're complaining, that there's something that happens in their heart. That they don't trust that God is going to come through for them. And so I'm guessing that Paul has caught wind that these Christians in Philippi are complaining. They're complaining about each other, they're complaining about how they do church, they're complaining about their community, they're, they're complaining and they're, they're arguing. And so he's trying to put a stop to it early. And why? I think just really quickly, two things. I believe it offends the heart of God. I think when we complain... When we grumble, I think it hurts the heart of God. If you have kids, just think about what you've provided for your children. If you've ever given them something or you provide a meal for them and they complain. You're like, do you understand? I've, I've worked for that. I've given that to you. That's a gift to you and, and it's not good enough. Not that my kids have ever done that, but it's not good enough. It's not what they want. And so they, they complain. It, as a human, it, it hurts. And I think as God does things in our lives, when we respond by complaining, I think it hurts the heart of God. I think it it hurts the heart of God. Two, I believe that complaining carries consequences. I think complaining, being a complainer carries consequences, not just spiritually, but also practically. Um, So if you want to drive people away from you, if you don't want to have good relationships, if you want to drive people away from you, be a complainer. If you don't want your marriage to go well, 
you don't want your marriage to go well, complain. Complain, argue. It won't go well. So if that's what you want, then, then we complain. And I've seen it in my own life. Those moments of complaining, the moments of arguing are the times in my life that, that things aren't going well. If you run a business, you have a team of people that work for you, complain. Complain, and it won't go well for your business. It, it, it hurts us. There are consequences that come with this. And this is what I know. If we complain, or we're quick to complain a lot, you'll always find something to complain about. Always. You'll always find something to complain about. I was reading some uh, reviews this week, and I read this one uh, about a beach. It says, it's a great beach, but it was too sandy. <laughs> really? This is a real review of a beach. Great beach, but it was too sandy. Very nice for swimming. Water was so clean and crystal clear. Overall, nice experience. Recommend travelers to visit anyways. The beach is too sandy. If you think about your own life, I mean, it seems, it seems funny and it's ridiculous, and, but think about your own life and think about some of the things you complain about. Think about the big picture of life in our world and think about the things that you complain about. We can always find things to complain about or to be critical about. And so th- just really quickly, I'm not saying that, that we won't disagree. I'm not saying that you can't challenge things or challenge people. Right? And so if you have a problem with someone, if, if I've done something to hurt you or offend you, it, it's not that you, that you can't deal with it, but it's, it's who do you complain to about it? What, what's at the core of your heart? Like, like if we deal with things, that's great. So Paul's not saying that, that, you're, that you have differences and in the midst of those differences, don't deal with them. He's just saying, don't complain, don't grumble, stop arguing. And so complaining and even arguing usually comes from a person that only cares about themselves, that are self-focused. And so we hear Paul speaking just a few minutes ago, do nothing out of your own self-interest. Think highly, more highly of other people than you do yourself. And so as we complain, as I complain, it usually has to do with me. And so Paul again is reiterating that life is not simply just about you. And so we see the negative things, but, but Paul often will tell us what to do, and then he gives a reason. And so he, he says this, if we keep looking at it. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. He's saying something is going to happen. Something is going to happen if we could quit complaining and we quit arguing. Something is going to happen. And what is going to happen is people are going to take notice. Because we are going to be reflecting who God is. Reflecting who God is. That we would shine like the stars in the universe. I often think about when Jesus says that you're the light of the world. It's kind of the idea of a flashlight. Like I'm shining the flashlight into dark places. But as I think about this, I think about it more of this light shining on me. Not that I'm taking this light and shining it everywhere else. But, but this light would shine on me and that I would just simply illuminate that I would stand out in the midst of darkness in our world. And people say, man, there is something different about him. There is something different about them. As we don't complain, as we don't argue, we will stand out without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. So he doesn't say if you don't lie, that would happen, or if you don't cheat, that would happen, or if you don't steal, that would happen. But he simply says you will shine if you don't complain and you don't argue. And the fascinating thing to me is that was written 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, but it could be written today in a world full of people who want to nitpick and critique and complain. 
What if a group of people who followed Jesus said, not me, not me. So it comes back to a matter of the heart. When we choose not to complain, we are ultimately not choosing to be the center of the story and allowing God to take that position. And then Paul says this, and this was the most meaningful thing to me this week, and so you're going you're gonna to catch a glimpse into my heart. It said, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Let's read it again. Paul is saying, do all this. You'll shine like the stars in the universe. You'll hold out the word of life, the hope that you have. People will want to grab onto that. In order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. Paul is sitting in prison. He's probably been beaten, called names. And he says, look, if you do this, if you do this and you hold out the word of life for people, then when he gets to the end of his life, he's going to say, I didn't do that for nothing. I didn't do it for nothing. Everything I went through had a purpose and a meaning. Had a purpose and a meaning that he can boast because of what? Not what he did. Listen, it wasn't what Paul had done. It was what the church in Philippi, the Philippians, what they had done. And so I thought about this for me. And I thought when I get to the end of my life, it's not going to matter how big of a building gets built ever. It honestly is not going to matter the number of people who fill a building. I'm always wanting people to to come. I'm always wanting to grow. I'm wanting you to feel like you can invite people here. That's important. But, But if we don't live out what we believe together, if we don't live out what we believe together, if we if we don't live in a way that shines in the midst of darkness in our world, if we don't display the gospel for everyone to see, then it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. So for me as a leader, for me as a pastor, that is my hope. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what we could do as a community and the difference that we could make. And so as I talked about Shower to the People just earlier today and an organization that that takes these mobile units uh, to to people, to homeless, and allows them to shower, and I I told you about that. And then um, this week people gave above and beyond. So we do our dollar day and we ask everyone to give a dollar. People gave above and beyond. Uh, we have people who are setting up collection sites to get, to get goods, to, to give to shower to the people. Uh, people just came out of, out of nowhere to say, how can I help and what can I do? That, that is so good for me to hear, that, that you get it. And, and as John uh, asked about bringing his residence here, and I sent it to the board, and I talked to some people, you know, there are some churches that would say, oh, I don't, can we do that? Can we just open our building up to a group of homeless people? I mean, what if they do something? Or what if something happens? Not one person. Not one person. Every person I talked to was like, well, what else can we do? What else do they need? That, that is because we're, we're getting it. We're understanding what it means to be impacted by what we believe. And so it changes the way we behave. Matt Chandler, a pastor down in Texas, uh, says this. If we don't pay attention will weaken the reality that the church is actually a group of people meant to represent the image of Christ to each other and the world. I'm going to say it again. This is, this is really important that you understand what our purpose and what our mission is. If we don't pay attention, we'll weaken the reality that the church is actually a group of people meant to represent the image of Christ to each other and the world that some people respond to the good news, that some people will begin to follow Jesus because of the way that we live our lives, the way that we live our lives out with one another. And so we collectively represent the image of Christ in our unity, 
in our diversity, in our suffering with one another, our love for one another, our care and concern for one another, the way we serve one another in our community. On March 19th, uh, it's called um, uh, Palm Sunday is that weekend, and it's this idea we, we remember when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. It's his final week, it's his final days, and we celebrate Jesus coming into, into Jerusalem, and it, it sets into motion Passion Week where, where Jesus is punished and he's, he's put to death on a cross. And so oftentimes we do these events, and we ask a lot of people to come here, and we'll do Easter eggs, and we'll do a bunch of stuff. This year, and we did it a few years ago, is we're, we're leaving this place. We're going out. And so we're, we're going to encourage you to be a part of a serve day, an all-church serve day. And so there'll be four projects that we're going to be working on. One of those is going to be in West Alton. They still have been, are needing help. They still haven't been helped in lots of ways. And so we're going to have four opportunities for people to serve. This is us coming together. This is us using our gifts. There's going to be all kinds of ways for people to do it. But we're going to do that together. In the midst of all of our differences, we're going to come together for one thing. And when we do that, we are representing who Jesus is is. And then finally, Paul ends with this, but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul's literally saying, if I die. He knows it's going to happen and eventually it does. He says, even if I die, I'm going to be glad. I'm going to be rejoicing. You too should be rejoicing because of what God is doing. So we have some growing up to do. I have some growing up to do. I have some growing up in times where I don't give awe and reverence to God of, for who he is and what he's done. So I have some growing to do. And then I have lots of growing in the area of complaining and mumbling and, and, and arguing. I have some growing up to do because I know when I don't do that that I can shine like the stars in the universe in the midst of darkness and people will take notice of who God is. We have room to grow. We have room to grow. Will you pray with me? God, thanks for today. Thanks for every person who is here, um, who's investigating, who's pursuing what it means to follow you. God, we need your help. Um, this week, as, as we become quick to complain, would you help us to bite our tongue? Would you help us to only speak words that, uh, that give life? Uh, would, would no unwholesome talk come out of our mouth this week, but only what is good to build one another up? Would you help us to do that this week, Father? Um, and would you help us as a community as we continually come together to give a good image of who you are. Not that we have to be perfect, and I know we need to rely on you, but would others see us and see you in the way we treat one another and treat those in our community. We love you, God, and thanks for loving us in return. We pray so in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See you next week. Love you guys.